Welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. In this episode, many people are not aware, or oh, this is my problem because of gambling. The psychosocial education for them is still lacking. Professor Balan Radhakrishnan joins us to discuss gambling in Malaysia, an overview. Hi, my name is Sachin, and I am a psychiatrist based in London. Hi, I'm Hamilton, and I'm a psychiatry trainee based in London. And you can officially say you're a psychiatry trainee now because it's actually true, which is amazing. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't think I've I don't think I've been going around claiming to be one <laughs> before being one, but but now it's official. Now I have the legal documentation to prove it. <laughs> you're you're growing up before our very eyes. It's like um, it's like you're a young character on Home and Away who's still on Home and Away. That's a very niche reference, action, but I'll take the compliment. Okay. Today we're going to talk about gambling in Malaysia. It's part of one of the issues of BJ Psych International. And actually I have an editorial here by Professor David Goose who talked about gambling and governmental responsibilities because the issue covers gambling within Malaysia and Nigeria. He says that we are basically throughout history a species who tends towards taking risks for a reward, but sometimes these risks can outweigh the rewards. Gambling is one of these situations where, as you know, the house always wins, and yet we still, for some reason, are lured towards it, and we might give in to temptation to win it or maybe lose it all. And... As psychiatrists, David Scoose says, we are all aware that gambling can be potentially addictive. And neuroscientific research has shown that the neural processes involved are shared with other addictions, such as those associated with substance misuse. And I mean, we've seen as well that, you know, people with problem gambling issues are likelier to have a history of addiction issues within the family, not just related to gambling. Mm. Because of the possible harms that can arise from gambling and subsequent addiction to gambling, particularly to, to certain individuals such as children and adolescents, many societies in history have attempted to regulate it. And historically, there are some religions that actively do not allow gambling, but even in secular society, Concerns about gambling have become focused on the age at which behaviour begins with a view to protecting children who are still developing their prefrontal cortex and therefore don't have the exact same amount of executive function and self-control and inhibition that an adult would. So basically it becomes a balance between protecting people's freedoms to do what they choose to do and protecting vulnerable people who are more at risk of harm from certain activities. Yeah, and at risk of developing patterns of behaviour that they may carry on through the rest of their life. And so we talk about certain cultures regulating gambling. And as we mentioned, this issue of BJ Psych talked about the cultures within Nigeria and Malaysia. Malaysia is an interesting one. Let's just talk about Malaysia for a second. It's a Southeast Asian country with a population of about 32.3 million people. And it gained independence from the British Empire in 1963. Islam is the predominant religion in Malaysia, with about 60% of people in Malaysia practicing Islam, and is followed by Buddhism with 20% of people, and Christianity with about 9% of people, and Hinduism about 6% of people, and the rest practice traditional Chinese religions. So it's a very multicultural society, but with a strong influence of Muslim values within a large portion of the population. As such, and as we'll find out, Gambling is forbidden for the majority of Malaysians as it's forbidden under Islamic law. So most Muslims don't engage in legal gambling. And then Malaysia being a multi-ethnic population, you will see that with Chinese population making up about 25% of the population and people with Indian ancestry making up 12% of the population, 
those groups have access to gambling. It's not culturally forbidden through Sharia law for them. And so they're more likely to be taking part in gambling where it occurs. So it's a very interesting situation in Malaysia with two sets of values applying to two different portions of the population. I think before we continue, because of course this is a podcast that is largely listened to by psychiatrists and is aimed to be for whoever wants to listen to it, but a large amount of the audience will be psychiatrists. I think it's important to mention that when one talks about gambling addiction, as the article mentions, the term gambling disorder sits alongside addictions of substance misuse in the DSM-5. But in the ICD-11 from the World Health Organization, the term gambling disorder has now replaced the term which was previously used, pathological gambling. So yeah, ICD-10 lists F63.0, pathological gambling, which exists in the habit and impulse disorders category, which is itself within disorders of adult personality and behavior. And by the way, in that category, it has cousins such as pathological fire setting, pathological stealing, but then also things such as trichotillomania, uh, you know, hair pulling, and other habit disorders. Meanwhile, in the ICD-11, it is now gambling disorder, as you say, category 6C50. Interesting. And it's now in the category disorders due to addictive behaviours, which itself is in the category disorders due to substance use or addictive behaviours. So I think the shift really is in recognising that gambling disorder has many shared neurological correlates with other disorders of addiction. Its cousin within this category, by the way, is gaming disorder, which, you know, is the interesting new disorder to the ICD-11, which is making a lot of news articles worldwide. Very much the new kid on the block. Yeah. But basically, yeah, so we may reference things such as pathological gambling, problematic gambling, gambling disorder... Gambling addiction, all referring to what the ICD-11 will know as gambling disorder, basically. And the crux of it, if I'm not mistaken, can be quite simply boiled down to the disruptive impact that it has on the life of the individual and those around them, does it not? Yeah, I mean, that's the... If we're talking philosophically, that's where most disorders of the mind tend towards, is that you can't really think of them as a disease if they're not causing some kind of detrimental impact. Otherwise, it's just a variation of human behavior, right? And mm. and it still is a variation of human behavior, but it becomes a disease when you think about what problems is it causing. So in the ICD-11, the criteria is that you have a pattern of persistent or recurrent gambling behavior, which may be online, which a lot of gambling is in Malaysia, as we'll find out, or offline which is a lot more restricted in Malaysia and manifested by an impaired control over gambling. So in terms of onset, frequency, intensity, duration, ending the gambling, where you gamble, losing control of all those sort of things. An increasing priority given to gambling to the extent that gambling takes over other life things that you want to get on with. And a continuation or escalation of gambling despite negative consequences. So that would be probably the most irrational part of it, right? Is that even when it's causing you harm, you can't stop. Mm. And obviously there's other sort of criteria about how long it has to have been going on for. But you can see a general pattern in dependence syndromes, even to substances or to behavioral issues is that it's about a lack of control and it's about harm caused and continuing despite that harm. Mm. So you're telling me that even if one were to lose a large amount of money over the course of a single week in Monte Carlo or Las Vegas, that wouldn't necessarily meet criteria for gambling disorder because it needs to be a persistent pattern of behaviour and an impact on one's life in multiple areas. Right, so it's important not to confuse harmful behaviour with dependent behaviour or even just excessive behaviour with dependent behaviour. And even when it comes to excessive behaviour, context is key. For example, 
if I told you that a man lost a million dollars in Las Vegas last night, you might be like, oh, okay, that's that sounds bad. But if I told you that man's name was Jeff Bezos? Well, you know, he probably, while he was there in the casino, made twice that, if not more. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, the context is key, clearly, and pattern and... And again, detriment to life. So that raises the question that David Scuse's editorial raises, which is what should a country do about this? And we'll find out what Malaysia is doing about it. But David Scuse says that a total ban on gambling seems unrealistic in any society, particularly one, because it would be very difficult to enforce, and two, because that will drive the activity underground where it's then harder to regulate. But if gambling is permitted, he asks, how does one ensure that it does not cause harm? Should governments encourage some forms of gambling, such as lotteries, as a way of raising money for good causes? So for example, there's a Malaysian lottery called Damakai, and I just... <laughs> maybe maybe this is bad timing. I just went onto their website and it says they're seizing all operations. <laughs> oh, well, um, I guess we can take that one off the list. Damakai will temporarily seize operations and no draws will be conducted during the total lockdown period. Oh, is that COVID? Oh, thing? I see. To, yeah, to discourage people going outside yeah. unnecessarily. So. so Damakai is a Malaysian lottery. Currently, they got a jackpot of 35 million rigat. How much is that worth in GBP, Sachin? Well, maybe you can Google it and tell me. And in the meantime... <laughs> <laughs> I just expect you to be able to reel this off. In the meantime, I will tell you that their slogan is support education, play with us, which sounds to me like they, just like our national lottery, have some community benefit to existing. So it turns out that 35 million Malaysian ringgit is just over six million pounds. Amazing. That's not bad. So Damakai says that funded predominantly from the profits of PMP, which is Pan-Malaysian Pools, TCC, which is the community chest, funds the establishment, development and advancement of schools and learning institutions which are not-for-profit and which do not receive sufficient funding or aid from the government or from the community. So just like our national lottery, Malaysia has lotteries which support community goods so that sounds pretty cool and that's one of the legal lotteries within malaysia back to the editorial which questions maybe lotteries are a good way of raising money for good causes and then questions does permitted advertising of privately organized gambling activities such as casinos horse racing or sporting fixtures reflect an open society or does the encouragement of gambling of any sort lead to abuse and, for some individuals, the road to destitution? Both Nigeria and Malaysia are struggling with these challenging questions, as are we in the UK. So the first paragraph after the brief introduction for the article talks about the history of gambling in Malaysia and references sources which suggest that gambling was likely brought to Malaysia by Chinese merchants in the 19th century. And the article goes on to mention how gambling, both in legal and non-legal forms, is quite popular in Malaysia and available in various forms, with lotteries, casino games and horse racing being legal, but in comparison, sports betting or online gambling being considered illegal. So naturally, there's a very unique dynamic at play in Malaysia when it comes to gambling. So who better to tell us about the situation regarding gambling in Malaysia than one of the authors himself? And for that, we have Sachin's interview with the first author of this article, Associate Professor Balan Rafakrishnan, who will very kindly tell us about his article, Gambling in Malaysia, an Overview. I'm here with Balan Rafakrishnan. Yeah. Would you please introduce yourself, let us know what you do, and what is your interest in this topic? Thank you so much, Dr. Sachin. Mm -hmm. My name is Balan Radha Krishnan. I born in Malaysia, and currently I've been working in the University of Malaysia, Sabah, 
in the Faculty of Psychology and Education, University of Malaysia Sabah, which is the Borneo side of Sabah. And I've been working around, it's about my 17 years of experience in teaching. So my focus of my research usually based on deviant behavior, intervention for young adolescents, and also for those are in high group risk youth. So basically, I relate a lot of research concerning about these people, especially youth group related to their whatever deviant behavior, like for example, they've been involving in sexual behavior, alcoholic and anti-social behavior problem in schools or in the university. And then how about gambling? Okay, gambling. I have done one or two research related to gambling. In Malay, we can call it as the judy. Judy means like gambling. Huh? In Malay, we call it judy. It's also under in law of Malaysia. We call this is uh, not in the norm, which then we call this is a deviant behavior because it's not permitted by the law and also the norm of people, the society itself not recognizing it's a good behavior. So we call it like a deviant behavior. Now, you say it's deviant behavior because it's not permitted by the law. But as I understand it in your paper, there's separate laws operating in Malaysia. Is that right? What's the situation in Malaysia with the legal status of gambling? When we look into the legal part, uh, like what I said just now, we have two different parts that we need to look into. Number one is the law, whether the law is permitting exactly what is the gambling, or the second part is the society itself, the culture of people. Then that's why I say both gambling, whether it's been legal or illegal, is still not been recognized by the society. Okay, now when I said about the law, it's still there are act which we have to follow, which we call Betting Act 1953, which they call legal because it's under the Minister of Finance. When we think about the demographics of Malaysia, Mm. Islam being the predominant religion with more than 60% of people are Muslim, Mm. do they have a separate code under which they operate? Yeah, they do. Because under the militia, we call dual system of law, whereby for gambling. So this is under Sharia court. Huh? We got Sharia, which is law. And there is the act, which we call 559 Act, under the sections of 18, huh? whereby this is only for Muslims. Whereby if they've been caught for any illegal gambling or they've been involved in gambling, so they can be charged under Act of 559, under Section of 18, whereby they are not being permitted what type, any type of gambling, whether they can be inside the house or even they can go to the legal gambling center, like for example, casino. Casino is a legal whereby it's been permitted by the Minister of Finance, but even that, Muslims are not being permitted to enter the permissors because under the Sharia law, it is illegal for them. But if it's for non-Muslim, so they've been permitted to this casino whereby it's considered as legal. And if they go to that premises, they've been allowed. So for non-Muslim, like for example, like Chinese, we have about 25% of Chinese in Malaysia. We have about 12 to 13% of Indian in Malaysia. And other races, they've been permitted to go this permissors which has been legalized for gambling. So this is what we call, like we have one center which is very popular in Malaysia, which we call Casino Genting Highland, which is located in Pahang, Malaysia. And this is the one land-based casino in Malaysia, isn't it? Exactly. So only one landed property. And after that, no landed property is permitted for this gambling. But there are many other illegal gambling and betting, like they have like Magnum Barahat, Squat Toto, Damachai. This is like betting, sweep takers, lotteries, gaming, mission games and online games and all that. Which is illegal, but there are many practices being done by especially these young generations on that, which is illegal. But like Damachai, Magnum, Sport Toto is being legalized because that is a lottery center 
whereby it's a textable and you can go and buy. But Muslims are not permitted to go there also. So there's some legal avenues for gambling, but also illegal gambling goes on. And as I understand it, online gambling is an illegal form which people are engaging in, including international gambling sites which serve Malaysia. Exactly, exactly. And like I said just now, lotteries, you can buy lotteries, you know, right? Lotteries, Mm -hmm. that means they do gambling by buying lotteries. Whereby there are centers which has been legalized, which I said just now, Magnum, Sport Toto and Damachai. These are the lottery center which is legalized in Malaysia. Even though that is a lottery center which is legal, it's not permitted for Muslims under the Sharia law. So wherever there is gambling, legal or not, there is the potential for pathological gambling. Exactly. And you have summarized in your paper the research in Malaysia with regards to this. Can you tell me just broadly what you know about what factors are associated with higher gambling levels in people? When we're talking about pathological problems, so we must divide this component of gambling. Because when we look into the issue of gambling, we can divide by three components. The first one is a problem gamblers, whereby they've been starting to gamble and they're still in the mode of control their attitude and their behavior. And it's not really much into their psychopathological problem. The second category we call moderate level of gambling, whereby they involve with gambling and they have a lot of issues related to their psychologically and they relate to other social psychological problems, like example, like they have been using a substance, like for example, alcohol, drugs, related to this gambling. And the last one is a psychopathological, which is they are related to their mental disorders problem because they're too much involved on that. So they, they cannot withdraw them uh, themselves from this psychopathological gambling as their activity, which they then it causes a lot of psychopathological. So if you look into my paper, psychological issues, are, there are many, especially on how they involve with this gambling and how they relate with their daily life and psychological issues and related to their mental health problems. Yes, and in terms of the social issues which are associated with higher levels of gambling, Mm. you've noted that younger people, Chinese demographic, lower education levels and higher income seem to be associated. And then this was interesting to me. Another factor that you noted was associated with higher gambling was being from paternal headed families. Okay, now when we look at this non-Muslim, uh, which is the uh, Chinese and Indians, uh, when we look into the issue, go deeper into them, why the social demographic factor, especially this Chinese and Indian family have been doing that. So when we look into that, and one of the main activity, it's because of their family background. Some of them are very poor family, poverty issues, and sometimes this Chinese also, uh, maybe the parents have been doing it that and this is in the Chinese family because the parents have been doing it so the children also follow so the chances for them this Chinese family those are in a very poor situation or they have issues of low education level so they've been involving with this activity long long time ago so it's for them become like a attitude which they can follow from their parents I guess if there's anything I would ask further, it is about why is it particularly the Chinese demographic who are at risk? 25% of population in Malaysia are Chinese and only about 12% are Indian and the rest are 60% are Malays and Muslims. So when you look into this Chinese, their background, the history, how they started with this gambling, it started very long, long time ago. Even you see in China, because these Chinese peoples are all of them are come from China and some are the different type of world, but they've been migrated to Malaysia and they've been doing business in a way as a historical way. They've been doing it this type of business many, many years ago. So when they come to Malaysia, they also have brought this type of culture 
whereby gambling become a business for them. So that's how it started. To answer your questions, why there are many people involved are Chinese compared to other races in Malaysia. Because that business been brought many, many years when they come migrated to Malaysia. Now, what is the level of gambling among adolescents? There is no specific statistics in Malaysia. There is no perfect or there is no accurate data on related to this percentage. But there are many research have been done in Malaysia stating that there are young adolescents involving starting from age of 13. And there are many cases of young adolescents involving when they are age of 15. So we don't have real exact and accurate and precise data related this is the statistic of it could be our next research which we should more focus on that in our related research on gambling and your paper noted that a recent study looking at around 2000 malaysian adolescents found that around 30 percent of them had participated in some form of gambling over a 12-month period Mm. so They're certainly doing it. To what degree, it's not clear, but they're certainly doing it and noting that certain factors associated with adolescents' gambling include the parents' gambling, Mm. being male, and other high-risk factors which are closely associated with adolescent gambling. Do you have an estimate of what the prevalence is of problem gambling in Malaysia? Okay, the prevalence statistics, if I look into Malaysia, we have about 4.4. That's the latest, I think, uh, there are research being done. The rate of prevalences in Malaysia, it's about 4.4. And especially in a state of Selangor, which a lot of people have been involving on that associated with this gambling. Why in that state? Okay, to answer you that state, because the prevalences problem gambling in Malaysia was determined using the largest state of Selangor, which the population itself about 5.6 million. Uh-huh. This is with the data statistic from Department of Statistics Malaysia 2010. That sampling shows that because of the population itself in Selangor is the highest. Ah, yes, yes. So the chances for them to be involved to categorize as problem gamblers are quite high in Langor compared to other states in Malaysia. Right, and that's 4.4% of the general population in Malaysia's largest states are problem gamblers. And then beyond that, 10.2% are moderate risk gamblers. Exactly. So that's quite a lot of the general population, isn't it? One in 10 moderate risk. Exactly. That, exactly. That shows there are many people have been uh, significantly, they are related, I mean, uh, related to their state. Uh, because when we look into many states in Malaysia, because we have about 13 states in Malaysia, and Selangor is one of the richest and one of the broadest of population. So the chances people to be aware, exposed, it's, there is a tendency for them to involve with this type of gambling. Even you see, I said uh, casino is a, in a state of Pahang, which is very closely to Selangor. So the statistic shows Selangor has about 570,000 of people being involved with moderate risk problem gamblers. Now, people who have pathological gambling, do they seek help and where do they seek help? Okay, very good question, Sachin. Okay, if they have the pathological issues, especially on this mental health, they cannot withdraw from this attitude and behavior. Usually, there are many services we do, especially private counselors, whereby they can seek a lot of private counselors, being professionals for this edited behavior and one of that is gambling and there are also services being given in the government hospital whereby if there are poor people they financially are poor they can seek for these government hospitals whereby there are centers and uh, programs to help them out in order for them to tackle these psychopathological issues and there are also private hospitals and private clinics doing it this type of service for those people are really in need. And as I understand it, 
although it's mainly anecdotal from your paper, it says that it's more likely for people to seek help once things have really hit the fan in terms of there starts to be legal issues regarding debt, bankruptcy, fraud, Mm. domestic violence or other crimes. Mm. Like that's when people come to the attention of services rather than seeking help early on. Exactly, exactly. That's why I said I have categorized them like moderate problem gamblers and psychopathological. So this usually the early stage they don't really recognize, they don't identify. There is what I can say awareness. Awareness on the early stage is still that not that. Whereby they when they they having a problem moderate level and they've been involving with other antisocial behavior like drugs even alcohol or other anti-social behavior, then if they've been caught, then they know they're also involved with gambling and so on. So I think many people are not aware, or oh, this is my problem because of gambling. The psycho-social education for them is still lacking. Like That's why I say relate to their culture, number one. I relate with their poverty. I relate with their social environment where they live. That's why I relate with these issues of gambling and I relate with these issues of gender. I relate with issues of social cultural in Malaysia and how this psychologically they've been involved. With. And that's why I say gender issues because male are being more open. They can go out, they mix with friends and they've been exposed with the situation of gambling compared to female and so on. And I also relate with a social demographical factor, like for example, where they do come from, whether they are from a poor family, whether they come from rural area, because the chances for people from urban area is more easily to expose with this type of facilities and also chances for them to involve with gambling. And I imagine now we know that it's not legal under Sharia law, but if a Muslim person were to fall into pathological gambling, Mm. which is possible for anyone to do, whether it's legal or not, Mm. it must be very difficult for them to seek help because they, by their culture, shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. And so there's probably a lot of stigma attached to it. Exactly. Now, the rest of your paper goes into what needs to be done regarding pathological gambling in Malaysia. And Mm -hmm. it is noted that there's no structured gambling treatment services in the public sector in Malaysia. What do you think needs to be done going forward with regards to pathological gambling? Okay, thank you so much, Sachin. Such a good question. First of all, I'm as a psychologist, I do believe that the number one is the awareness especially for young generation. It's not start when they are in the uh, moderate level of gambling. And my focus of research shows young adults, young group of people, like for example, we can start these awareness programs in a school, which is more structured educational program to show to the young generation gambling, what are the pros and cons of their involving with that activity. Whether like sports, even they do gambling, betting for sports. Huh? Football betting is very popular in Malaysia. A lot of young people, students especially involved with this betting, huh? betting especially for sports, football, for example. They bet to get money. So we need to tell them, students, especially young generation, what are the advantage and disadvantage of this involvement of them. Awareness is number one. So and second thing is we need to also have more structured counseling programs and counseling centers whereby we given them a chance for them to understand what this type of structure of counseling and program whereby those are moderate level and psychopathological people can go and easily they can get the solution from this type of center. Third thing that I, what I personally feel is that easy centers everywhere, whereby maybe even in many government hospitals are providing this type of services to easily people go and meet and there is no stigma that is stigmatizations on them. This is when I go and meet the counselors or meet the doctor or go to the center. I'm not a problematic, but I'm seeking help. That type of attitude, I think it's more appropriate, much, much needed for these young, young people in order for them to reduce with the psychopathological issues related to their gambling issues. 
How about in terms of research? Can you see areas in which further research is needed? Thank you so much, Sachin. What research that I number one is about statistics. There is no exact research done on the level. Uh, number one is the statistics in Malaysia, especially who are the different different group of people involving with this gambling. Number one. Uh, number one is the statistics. Number two, uh, what are the problems associated with this gambling, especially maybe it could be a problem associated, maybe the antisocial behavior associated problem or psychopathological problem, which is related to them, number two. Number three, uh, what are the types of intervention that we can provide to this type of group of people? Maybe they could be a problem gamblers or moderate level or psychopathological. We need to have a different, different type of intervention. Number three, that is number three. Number four, what are the awareness programs that the government or people can do? This type of awareness program, how we want to go about. So these are the four parts that we need to focus in for future research, whereby this can become a very holistic type of research, whereby each and every component, psychological issues, education issues, economical issues, social cultural issues, and their psychological issues, which we can cater for them, health issues, we cater all as a holistic in order to help those involving too much with this gambling. And in terms of legislation, I know you say that a debate needs to be had because there's two ways it could go, I suppose. What do you see happening? Do you see Malaysia banning gambling outright or do you see them legalizing more forms of gambling and regulating it? Okay, now, thank you for that question, Sachin. In order for that, for so far, so far what I can see, uh, the gambling center is only one landed property, which is in a casino in Pahang. But other than that, I think uh, there is not much development on these centers. But there are many illegal gambling is going on, especially this online gambling games and all that. I think there must be a more legal on this illegal activity which is going on because I think there are many agents which they can make a lot of money. So they are recruiting many young generations in order for them to make money out of this. So I think there must be a legal, more legal operations identifying those agents and in order for them to reduce this problem. Because we cannot avoid 100%, we cannot terminate these issues 100%, we cannot demolish these issues 100%, but what we can do, we try to educate people, uh, how, what are the advantage, what are the problems when they are associating when this type of illegal gambling, especially lotteries, you know, illegal lotteries, betting for games, you know, online games and all that. So we are educating people and it's more issues of online illegal activity can be identified. I think many problems can be resolved, especially related to this young generation. So we have a minute left, Valen. Would you like to add anything that you feel is important? or hasn't been said yet. I thank you so much for this uh, wonderful opportunity. I think this is a great opportunity for me to elaborate more on this gambling. I hope there are many uh, professionals out there, maybe internationally we can collaborate research related to this gambling in Malaysia. And I'm very happy to work and associating with whoever are uh, interesting on this gambling issues, especially tackling on these young generations. And uh, what I feel that it's not about the problem. I'm not looking, it is a problem. Now what I'm looking at, what are the solutions that we can give? What are the interventions program? How this intervention program can be workable? And what I believe is uh, to help them out. There are many people out there needs our help. And I believe and I strongly see that as a psychologist, my contributions back to my society. My society needs my help. So what are the interventions that I can do, especially this awareness program? What are the modules that we can design, create to help these people out there in order for them to educate them, number one, to manage them better and to help them out? Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Balan Radhakrishnan, for joining me. Thank you so much, Sachin. So, I still find it 
quite interesting and hard to believe that there is just one legal land-based casino in the country. Let's find out about this casino. The one and only casino in Malaysia, Casino de Genting. It's got a five-star on TripAdvisor. Oh, that, that bodes well. Well, I mean, you're the only casino in town. <laughs> you don't really have to be that good, but they <laughs> incidentally are. Here's a review of Casino de Genting. This big casino is the one and only casino in the whole of Malaysia. Lots of games are available. The most popular game is Baccarat. So there you go. Baccarat. And, uh, I mean, casinos themselves are fascinating environments. If we look at the psychology of how casinos are laid out and the architecture, right? Because most casinos, they won't have windows or they'll have minimal windows and they'll have a degree of lighting that makes it difficult to know the time of day and often there won't be clocks around on the wall which often makes it quite easy to lose track of time and what's more again this is kind of more for casinos in general i don't know about the situation of malaysia's one casino especially given the fact that i don't know the differences in alcohol laws but often in casinos at least in the uk and america alcohol would be provided at often lower prices than one would expect in other establishments almost as if to encourage people to become slightly more disinhibited i mean this isn't before any <laughs> you know before big casino goes after me this is all speculation of course but it kind of stands to reason that if alcohol is cheaper then one is more likely to purchase alcohol and therefore experience the effects of its consumption prior to gambling in the same establishment well, a very broad answer to your question. Alcohol is generally prohibited for Muslim consumers in Malaysia, as, again, Sharia law forbids Muslims from drinking alcohol. It's mostly banned for Muslims across the states of Kelantan and Terengganu. Right, but these individuals won't be in the casino. Yeah, and so the legal drinking age in Malaysia is 21 years old and above, presumably for everyone else. And it used to be 18 back in 2017. Any vendors, restaurants and retailers need a license to serve or sell tap or draft beers, liquors and spirits in the country. But bottled and canned beers are exempted from such a license requirement, which is why it's common to find many vendors and coffee houses serving alcohol in the premises without a license throughout the country. So that's kind of the issue with alcohol. I've seen a nice picture of a supermarket with shelves stacked with alcohol in a non-halal section. Mm. This one casino, by the way, looks really nice. Yeah, what was it called again? Casino de Genting. Oh, it does look pretty. It looks lavish. It looks like a casino. <laughs> seen one casino, <laughs> seen them all. I have only seen one casino. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the one casino. It was also interesting because when I initially read the article, it mentioned how there aren't any structured gambling treatment facilities available in the public sector in Malaysia, with most facilities being available in the private sector. But it sounds like from your discussion with Balan that actually there are some government-run facilities. Yeah, from what it sounded like he was saying is that if you don't have the means to access private psychiatric help, then government centres do have programmes running within them. But it doesn't strike me that there's anything, say, focused on gambling, necessarily. And so it may be the case that these programmes available in government centres are more based towards more broader psychological or psychiatric issues. But he ultimately did make the call for more structured counselling centres within Malaysia to address the issue of gambling. I see. So not specialised gambling treatment facilities, but rather kind of more generic, perhaps psychiatric or psychological therapy-based centres. That seems to be the case. And I guess it also seems to maybe match attitudes towards gambling as well, is that you'd expect maybe more of these structured counselling centres to pop up once the issue is less stigmatized because if gambling itself is frowned upon culturally then having gambling issues is probably quite taboo too oh absolutely and whilst the research that balan has gone through in the article does report the epidemiology of gambling in the country as being predominantly 
non-Muslim members of Malaysian society. Imagine if one is a Muslim gambler in the country, there's even more stigma to seeking help and getting access to resources and the help one needs to kind of break the cycle of addiction there. Yeah, and so all the more reason, as Balan was saying, is that some research should be directed towards who encounters problem gambling and work out what these demographics are so that culturally sensitive services can be developed, which are responsive to those kind of needs. And just to build on that, I was quite interested, as we mentioned, about this being an issue which is very attached to specific communities. And that usually when you hear that, you think that there's some kind of underlying socioeconomic driver behind that, right? It's not necessarily that your ethnicity dictates how likely you are to encounter certain behaviours or disorders, but rather there might be an underlying socioeconomic driver. But here, Balan is describing that maybe you are more likely to find the Chinese community involved within gambling in Malaysia, and that is actually attached to historical roots of gambling within that community, including bringing gambling to the country. However, he does mention that, you know, while culture matters, family background matters, and socioeconomic issues matter too, so... And in fact, that association that was reported in terms of the socio-demographic factors, including being young, a higher income, having their education levels, but also being of Chinese background, was associated with higher levels of gambling expenditure not problem gambling behavior, so to speak. Mm. As you've kind of mentioned before, what counts as problem gambling for one individual or group of individuals may not be for others. Greater expenditure doesn't always equate to more of a problem or severe pathology, so to speak. I mean, one would think they can often be correlated, but it's not always necessarily the case. What struck me, although he mentions that there is more work to be done on truly assessing the prevalence of gambling issues in the country, is this 4.4% prevalence of problem gambling and 10% prevalence of moderate risk gambling as an estimate. That's a lot. Mm. One in 10 people have a moderate risk gambling behavior. According to the RC Psych website, page on problem gambling. In the UK, problem gambling only affects about nine people in every thousand, but a further 70 people out of every thousand gamble at risky levels that may become a problem in the future. Okay. Which sounds a lot lower than what's been reported in Malaysia. Yeah. I was about to say, there's a gulf between 70 out of a thousand gambling at risky levels and then 10% of people gambling at moderate risk. There's bound to be some definitional issue there but it at least tells me that my spider sense about one in ten people having risky gambling feels about right that it's not that's not what you'd expect that's like walk down the street and every few people you see has a moderate risking gambling so i i think i'm fair in sort of being incredulous at the idea of one in ten people that you see out and about having high risk gambling behavior are you saying, Sachin, that you want to see them receipts? Yeah, I want to see the, the gambling receipts. <laughs> you know what? I guess the phrase for that is huge if true. Mm. Absolutely. Huge if true. And then happening with very young people, and this is not like I'm saying it doesn't happen in the UK, but 13 years old, 15 years old... Obviously, we have similar issues of young people gambling in the UK and reporting that they've gambled online or more frequently through video games. I mean, that figure alone, because obviously to think that 10% of the general public would display moderate risk gambling behaviour and 4.4% demonstrating problem gambling behaviour. But then also the other study that's mentioned which found that 30% of Malaysian adolescents participated in some form of gambling over a 12-month period. I mean, 30%, that's 
well, again, that's not problem gambling behavior. That's just gambling in general. But that's still not a small number, is it? Yeah. I mean, it shows you how prevalent gambling might be within the culture. And one of the points that Balan brought up was that you're more likely to be exposed to gambling not only if you're male because you're more likely to go out and socialize and be exposed to that kind of thing within that culture but if you're from an urban environment if you're from a city environment and that this issue might be less prevalent in rural places but i don't imagine that that would remain the case much longer as online gambling becomes more prevalent and i know it's not legal within malaysia but that doesn't stop people from doing it and it's very difficult to enforce or regulate and offshore gambling would be even harder to regulate right and then as with most countries people are increasingly getting online through mobile devices and mobile internet that it wouldn't necessarily matter where you are you have access to gambling mm and there's other forms of gambling that kind of often arise which aren't originally intended for gambling so for example there was a big problem with the online game Counter-Strike Go where people were gambling on the outcome of matches for items and skins in the game which had monetary value and there was a large trading website set up for this purpose which has since been shut down by Valve the company that makes Counter-Strike Go but for quite some time there were many individuals gambling and losing quite a lot of money on this platform even though the game itself doesn't have any gambling features in it and we know that attempts are being made to reduce exposure to gambling at a young age they've changed how age related classification for video games for example works now in this country where any game that has a depiction of gambling say if it's possible to play blackjack in the game that game would now receive a age rating classification of 18 so that means games like super mario 64 ds which had a mini game in which you could play blackjack with luigi would now be age rated 18 which i find somewhat amusing but that's not a legal age rating is it that's peggy yes it's recommended it's not legally enforced well in the uk it's legally enforced but the people making that decision would have been an independent ratings board and in parts of Mm. europe it's not enforced at all despite it being a european rating system but that's just to make a distinction that that's not the government saying that depiction of gambling is worthy of an 18 rating but an independent ratings board saying that but i think yeah your point is well taken And if anyone listening wants to look up that form of gambling, it's called skins gambling or skin gambling. And yeah, there's a lot of talk within the UK government about what aspects of video games may constitute gambling, particularly when it comes to loot boxes, for example, which are items you purchase, which give you chance results. So there is a element of luck and risk involved in that which is currently being reviewed as does that constitute gambling and so there are potential ways in which people are concerned that children are being exposed to gambling and then literal gambling as well through apps and things like that which you know pose further concerns but also just tells you that you're not going to get anywhere just by making gambling illegal because people will find a way and so Perhaps another consideration is bringing the issue out into the open, regulating it, and as Balan said, focusing more on educating the public about how to approach these behaviours in a safer, less risky manner. Awareness is key. Yeah. Right, because with improved awareness, it might be possible to pick up signs of problem gambling at an earlier stage, rather than what is the sad common case where it only really becomes clear as a problem to others when someone has already racked up a large amount of debt and has entered quite a dark period in their life and potentially have had to take out loans in order to make up for the money that they've lost through gambling. Yeah, there's a lot of issues wrapped up there about seeking help late until things have become worse. One is the awareness, as you say, 
Another is really the stigma of having a gambling related issue. And then not just how these issues affect the person, but how they're affecting mental health services, which is mental health services have to be equipped to handle these issues earlier and to reach people more effectively before these gambling issues become issues of debt, of fraud, of criminal activity, of substance use, of other mental illness. They really want to reach these people before those significant further issues develop. Yeah, but before those life-destroying effects take place. Mm. So that was really quite an interesting run-through of the gambling situation in Malaysia. Before reading this article and listening to the interview, it kind of never occurred to me that the unique sociocultural situation in Malaysia would have such a profound impact on social behavior and such a huge impact on gambling in the country and the degrees to which individuals experience addiction to gambling. I think, as David Scoos mentioned in the editorial, gambling is both a human pastime with a profound amount of history, but also is a global, universal pastime. Therefore, when gambling goes wrong, it's important that it isn't underestimated. As we've all heard, we know of the destructive effects it can have when one loses control over their ability to regulate their own gambling behavior. So I'm quite glad that Associate Professor Balan Rafakrishnan and co-author Sandhu George have been able to do this fantastic article shedding some light on the gambling situation in Malaysia and the potential future landscape of how best to improve the situation through increased awareness and education. Let me ask you, would you ban gambling outright? One need only look at accounts of Prohibition-era America, and I think it's the elephant in the room that we haven't really addressed as much. I mean, we briefly mentioned alcohol use, but just like gambling, alcohol use is uh, a pastime with perhaps far more history with regards to use throughout human civilization. No, I wouldn't ban it. It doesn't really work. Banning alcohol just leads to illegal underground alcohol use and much the same happens with gambling and i think certain types of gambling are illegal in malaysia such as online gambling but it clearly happens anyway and the article itself mentions that the illegal lottery business in malaysia generated about 60 percent more revenue than all of the six legal operators combined so clearly there's a lot of appetite for underground gambling and clearly people don't want to do lotteries which benefit education Apparently. Ooh. <laughs> what is well, wrong with you? There's six legal lotteries available to you and you play illegal ones? Why? <laughs> I would like to know the discrepancy in the prize amount because it would be quite sad if the amount is the same or less. It's just like, if I play this lottery, I could feed um, hungry orphans. But if I play this lottery, I could, you know, win big bucks. I don't know. <laughs> That's a terrible mental image. Who knows, Sachin? Who knows? Would you ban gambling? No. But if you asked me the same question about other vices, I might say yes. So it's very difficult to come up with a consistent answer and know why I'm saying yes or no. To me, it just feels like gambling is a normal human behaviour and that the harmful aspect affects a small enough proportion of society that there's no black and white about these issues, but I would veer more towards freedom in the case of gambling simply because uh, you don't want to pathologize a normal human behavior. Yeah. And for those in whom it does become pathological, you want to try and prevent and help. And that's best achieved by bringing these issues out into the light. But I understand that there's also a moral overlay to this. And unsurprisingly, Malaysia is a very religious country. And so people have moral objections to gambling too. And that is not a question I'm here to answer. That is a moral question for yourself to answer. You listening at home. 
<laughs> you, the listener. Yeah, exactly. That's personal. And well, it doesn't matter what I think about morals or whether we should inflict morals on other people. I think it matters a little, Sachin. Yeah, well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you are you are a functioning member of society after all. <laughs> if, if you want to get into it. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for joining us this episode uh and uh, we will see you next time if you want to check out that article by the way it is titled gambling in malaysia an overview by balan radhakrishnan and sanju george available in the bj psych international journal this has been the bj psych international podcast goodbye and may the odds be ever in your favor thank you for listening to this bj psych international podcast for the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.